0: Welcome back. Hi there.
1: Um, So this is an episode that follows on uh, slightly from a previous episode we did on gun violence. Yes. And in that episode we spoke quite a bit about um, what happened in Orlando. And we thought we'd do a separate episode investigating some of the identity issues that have come out of that particular incident and some other recent incidents as well um, do you want to say a bit more about how how identity worked in Orlando?
0: Yeah, well I think these two episodes came really as most of our episodes do come from our social media feeds um, yours has been very much around gun violence and yeah. and mine has been very much about um, LGBT rights, safe spaces um, and The relationship between um, the LGBT mainstream LGBT movements Mm -hmm. of the last Mm -hmm. few decades and um, discourses around race, um, particularly because so many of the victims of this shooting were um, from the Latino community, gay Latinos.
1: And I think one of the things we both noticed was how the liberal left mainstream liberal left um, failed to negotiate in any kind of meaningful satisfactory ways the various identity categories in this story. So you have a a gay nightclub predominantly um, used by queer people of colour, Latinos, which was attacked by an American of Afghan origin you know, there are lots of stories about his own sexuality which is a slightly separate topic but you have homosexuality, Latino identity and Islam and you have the the sort of unedifying spectacle of a liberal white left trying to negotiate this minefield of identity categories uh, and not really managing to do so uh, to the point where on one extreme, I guess, you have uh, in Britain, you have uh, a a video that went viral fairly quickly, which is the uh, British political commentator Owen Jones, who was being interviewed on Sky News. And he walked out of the interview after failing to convince the interviewers that the attack in Orlando was a specifically homophobic attack. In other words, the people who were killed there were killed because they were gay, um, rather than a more general Islamic terror, and you can't see me using scare quotes, but I am, Islamic terror attack on Western values and Western freedoms and, and so on. Um, so that's one example of the ways in which the, the mainstream failed to combine and set up these identities in relation to each other. I
0: think. Yes. As well you have the left. Um and I and I certainly think that um you know Owen Jones has been involved in in campaigns um about um you know the problem of Islamophobia and he's yeah. you know he's he's been um you know pro migration and yes. um you know, anti-racism and, um, s- there has been a lack of ability to deal with this, the kind of, you know, the specter or the, you know, the haunting of, of Islam, yeah. you know, in, in a kind of Western uh, mythical sense the kind of orientalist sense yeah
1: it, it also reminded both of us of the sort of liberal whitewashing of black lives matter into all lives matter
0: yes and interestingly um just you know anecdotally and speaking very briefly about muhammad ali yes and the the articles and arguments that have been made about how the mainstream media and and yeah. politicians have um have denied muhammad ali his black yeah. Identity. On that note, death. if you
1: haven't already, uh, go and look up Always Already, and they've they've got a new podcast episode on the politics of transcending race. So the idea that the the way Ali's used as a transcendental figure, a figure transcends race, is actually a process of making him safe and sanitized for a white audience yes. and denying his blackness. So that's a very good episode which you should. You
0: should we'll link to, to it. Yes. It's we've retweeted it, yes. but we'll link to it yeah. again.
1: Um. And you have something similar going on here, I think, which is in order to make an alternative identity appropriate and safe and secure for a straight white male audience, you take away their specificity and impart on them some kind of abstract universal humanism. Which is actually complicit in their own marginalisation. So, the 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 um Western democratic freedom way of life that Sky News is claiming is being under attack is a homophobic power. Is complicit in the marginalisation of queer lives. Um, the All Lives Matter movement uh, is co-opting black resentment in the support of a white mainstream that is complicit in racism
0: yes and ever yeah and mm. it's very very similar um refusing to call the orlando shooting a hate crime yes for example and calling it a terrorist attack instead yeah. um while failing to deal effectively with the idea that it might be both yeah um and Partly because I think the the discourses of hate crimes and the discourse of terrorist attacks have been mutually exclusive to a certain extent, um, although the relationship between them has become quite tense in recent years. I think, um, but if you if you call this a hate crime perpetrated by you know a Muslim extremist, many Muslims are subject. To hate crimes mm-hmm. by white terrorists, white mm-hmm. supremacist terrorists. And the left has not effectively managed to deal with the fact that people commit violent acts, mm-hmm. people are subject to violence based on particular social and political identities. And intersectionality mm. came about as an idea to try and account mm. f- for some of this. Mm. But in terms of actually allowing us to challenge conservative, um, you know, umbrella mm. arguments that are quite ambiguous mm. and nebulous mm. and get mobilized for, you know, what mm. I would call, you know, devious purposes, mm. um, we haven't been able. To effectively mm. use identity politics to challenge narratives about why this violence happened, yeah. and calling it a hate crime, mm. as the you know many conservative commentators have refused to do, in a sense, isn't enough. Mm. We have to do it, mm. but it doesn't. It doesn't do enough. Mm. Like I don't think it's.
1: Yeah and I mean if you take identity politics and the discourse of identity politics to its logical conclusion then there is nothing I can do as a straight man in response to Hollanda. you know i whatever i do i'm going to End up appropriating queer voices.
0: Yes, silencing them somehow, yes. or misrepresenting yes. them, or and there's an element there's there's almost a, a um an embodied and kind of affective and phenomenological mm. element mm. to this argument, which is that if you don't if you don't have the lived experience mm. of being. Mm in the body of the a member of the group that we're talking about, mm. you therefore cannot speak, mm. not even for, but about mm. what has happened. Mm. And that's a logical end point. I mean, mm. it's it's not very often that I think I come up against that kind of argument. Um, you know, in my own sort of mm. de- debates and, mm. and discussions and conversations with people, mm. um, but it is this that stay in your lane mm. politics taken to the extreme, mm. and I have seen it. You know, you mm. see it on co- in comment sections. You see it in, um, particularly on on radical and and very progressive kind of forums and blogs and. Mm um particularly when talking about safe spaces and mm. who's allowed into mm. safe spaces and who's allowed to kind of mm. um, access you know various either cultural mm. practices mm. or um objects mm. or traditions or um places mm. you know and and if you are a person with 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 a, a privilege mm you know whatever that might mm. be or mm. privileges that work together as the case may be um at this end point why mm. beyond the argument of of human decency why mm. should you care mm. if there's no way that i can understand or empathize mm. then why should i care mm beyond my own personal feelings of you know justice and human rights
1: and the problem of course is that the discourse of human decency and human rights has historically been complicit in much of the much of the power structures we're trying to challenge exactly so that isn't obviously a solution either yes and it's also complicated by the the sense uh, that your lack of privilege to the extent that you don't have privilege under certain categories does not necessarily mean your voice is progressive. And one of the examples I, I'm thinking of specifically at the moment is Hillary Clinton. Yes. And so certainly debates in on various sides with, with respect to Hillary Clinton in my social network bubble has taken broadly two sides. One is she's a much better, safer, saner alternative to Trump and it is going to be historic to have the first female president of the United States and therefore I do not need to be worried about the various problematic if you're progressive. Uh, aspects to her policy, and certainly her foreign policy. Uh, I've seen uh, the argument that the militarization that she supports is a male creation anyway, and therefore, as a feminist, I do not have to justify her support of and complicity in in that militarization of the world. So that's one argument. And the other argument is uh, I am a lefty, I am a progressive, Uh, Hillary Clinton is far too much of a hawk when it comes to foreign policy. I don't support her position in Israel. I don't think her gender matters. And because I'm left-wing, I cannot possibly be misogynistic. And therefore, I think she's unsuitable to be the next president and her gender doesn't matter. And I find myself disagreeing with both of these positions. And having to come up with the a way to say that I don't agree with Hillary Clinton's position on a whole host of things. However, I recognise that misogyny forms a large part of the attacks against her. Also, I agree that having a woman being President of the United States would be a historic thing, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Hillary Clinton, as a President, would be the best person for advancing women's rights. And as a straight non American male, having to find a way to articulate this in a way that doesn't appropriate female voices is and I'm trying to find a, a way a vocabulary that allows me to do that. Is not something that is immediately obvious in the discourse of identity politics.
0: I like how you threw in a little British phrase there where you said it's not something that is immediately obvious. Is that a British phrase? Oh man, I would just say, you know, the American in me would say I don't see any evidence of of it in mainstream identity politics discourse at all because, I mean, you're absolutely right and it's not to say, there are plenty of people who share mm. 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 the the views on Hillary mm. Clinton that you have outlined. Mm. I'm one of them. And many, many people mm. have shared mm. those exact same mm. views. Um, I think for us, really, what we're discussing is, is how critical theory mm. has let us down mm. to a certain extent mm. here. Um, because it has given us identity politics mm. in a sort of Undeveloped, mm. underdeveloped way um, that hasn't allowed us a way of both articulating the f- the circumstances and the situations and mm. the the phenomena <laughs> mm. what, that we're talking about, this mm. issue of Hillary Clinton, while also dealing methodologically with the issue of who mm. is speaking, how and when and over whom.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Um, because it is those two things at the same time.
1: Mm. I think, I mean, some of it comes down to this sort of complex uh, but artificially simplified notion of representation, which you were talking about before. Uh, Do you want to say a bit more about how the word representation is used in mainstream discourse? Mm,
0: Yeah, yeah, I think um, the concept is an academic one. Mm. And as is the concept of identity politics Mm -hmm. and the concept of intersectionality. These are all academic terms Mm -hmm. that have been, in many ways, usefully applied Mm -hmm. in a slightly more mainstream Mm -hmm. setting Mm -hmm. um, of of the Internet, Mm -hmm. which is quite refreshing, but at the same time quite frustrating. Mm -hmm. Um, And then representation is quite a complex Mm -hmm idea and that it exists across scales mm. in academic discourse, but that has in mainstream discourse become, I think, focused primarily on two, mm. two aspects. One is political representation, and this is the idea that, um, you know, a woman in a position of power mm. is more likely and better able to represent and speak mm. for and on behalf of women. Mm um and the other is cultural representation where um diverse actors and performers and artists mm. and um studio executives mm. create a you know a canon if you will mm. of artistic output mm. Mm. that represents to the population mm accurately, its own experience and its own identity. So, I mean, that's kind of a pretentious way of saying more women writers, more people of color on screen and behind the scenes running the show. You know, and in a sense, that is how the the debate, and at this point it's less of a debate in a sense, it's how the conversation has remained so that, you know, there's a a really wonderful transition happening Mm. on primetime television in the United States right now, which is a move towards representing particularly Mm. families, Mm. right? The family sitcom has made a comeback Mm. since the the 90s and representing, there's, you know, Asian American families, Mm. there's African American black families on TV, um, there's gay families on and TV. The, the you know. modern
1: family, the sitcom, is a is a very good example of a wide range yes. of various various different family formations and and race sexu- and sexuality.
0: Yeah, and that was kind families. of the the sort of the take back of the the mm. family sitcom to yeah. a certain extent. But you know, shows like Blackish and mm. um, Fresh Off the Boat, mm. and um, they're challenging, especially you know. Um, representations of Asians in the media right now has Mm. been a a big debate Mm. in the United States, um, which we talked about, Mm. I think, when we talked about the Oscars. Mm. Um, And, you know, it's very important that stereotypes and, Mm. you know, Orientalist and racial representations Mm. Mm. of people that are inaccurate and offensive Mm. are challenged, Mm. certainly. Mm. But at a certain point, the the radical progressive Mm. Mm. um, possibilities Mm. for, I think, a more complicated academic definition of representation break down. And we're left Mm. with, you know, the studio ABC continuing to make a bunch of money.
1: It reminds me a little bit of Bill Cosby and how... Because, you know... I'm I'm not the right generation, and certainly not was not geographically located in in the right place to, for him to be a f- formative influence in any way. But reading stuff written by people who were formatively influenced by him, there's such a pain in having to ex- having to reassess everything you knew about him and the Cosby Show and all of that. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of. Have, and seeing them discursively struggle with, on the one hand, reaffirming the importance of having African-American faces on TV.
0: Yeah, and a functional family. Yeah. A family that is not violent, mm. um, that's, you know, that doesn't buy into any of these racist tropes mm. about how black families are. Yeah.
1: And having to preserve the memory of that somehow and the importance that had in your life, knowing what you now know about the man.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And again, I don't know if the identity politics theory of the importance of cultural representation gives us the tools to separate those two things out.
0: Yes. Or to... I mean, I, f- I, f- I think the closest anyone has come mm. is to ideas of toxic masculinity, mm. um, which is a a phrase, of course, that mm. has come up um, in the wake of the the Orlando yes. shooting. Um, th- the idea of masculinity as being at the mm. at the root of mm. of the violence, mm. um, and that the there's a relationship between masculinity and power here Mm. that Mm. is destructive Mm. Um, that I think is the closest
1: Mm.
0: that anyone has perhaps come Mm. to this Mm. but at the same time you know all we're sort of left with is well the legacy of of the representation is is overall positive Mm. the legacy Mm. of the person is is not, mm. and leaving it at that.
1: Which is not really a satisfactory solution, I don't think. Um, it seems to me that we need to find a better way of theorising why it is, why it matters, either way. You know, Why, why is it important to have diversity in, in representation? And...
0: I mean I I think we we were talking about how if diversity and representation is the end goal mm. then that's one thing mm. and the Cosby show for a period of time mm. helped mm. to make that goal a reality mm. if if the end goal is something a bit less tangible, Mm. but perhaps more in line with what you and I might Mm. think, Mm. and that is a more radical, more free Mm. society in which people are granted Mm. dignity and humanity Mm. in a way Mm. that they are not currently, Mm. then representation Mm. in, in... Media mm. is a step. Mm. It is not the end goal. Mm. Mm. But the way, and I think for us the frustration with the way that kind of identity politics has been made a, a bit more mainstream, mm. Mm. is it presents representation in media as being mm. the ultimate goal, yes. the end goal here.
1: And, and political representation as well. Yes. You know, the, so where identity politics falls short is if you are claiming that the end goal is to have more people of colour and more women in positions of power. Once you have achieved that, and the individual people of colour and the individual women do not end up improving the conditions of lives of people of colour and women. And I I keep saying, using those categories as if they're mutually exclusive, and of course they're not. But, you know whatever the form the particular form of other that you're thinking, you know, racially, gendered or sexuality. Putting people It's hard to even think about them because
0: because of the way that the debates are so often framed, it's hard for us to even use language Mm. that reflects what we actually are talking about.
1: Yes. And when you've put representatives from these categories into positions of power and it turns out lives of people have not improved identity politics sort of has nowhere else to go because you have no more sophisticated a plan for change than that it doesn't give you a blueprint of to go anywhere further to go anywhere different
0: and in fact i think it it has the potential even to more insidiously mm reproduce um, kind of hegemonic white supremacist patriarchal mm. values mm. by highlighting the fundamental, you know, embodied, experienced differences between these representatives mm. and the groups that they mm. are supposed to represent. Mm. You know, and in, an, in an ideal world, you know, every single person Every single identity will be represented in some some way, right? That that's a that's an unachievable reality, of course, yeah. um, not least because identities change. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but the the idea, the stay in your lane mm-hmm. politics, mm-hmm. then means that the needs mm-hmm. and the the requirements mm-hmm. of each kind of group mm. are fundamentally different yeah. and therefore incompatible mm. and therefore unequal. Mm. It retains inequality. Yeah. And if, you know, th- therefore representation is mm. not the solution mm. or... Well,
1: insofar as we have a solution, or certainly I have a solution, and of course I don't, but what? <laughs> you don't? I don't. Surprise, surprise. You know, every week we solve everything, and this week, anyway. We never solve racism. No. But it seems to me that what we are grappling towards is a, is trying to find a way of updating and making more relevant a by now old fashioned concept of solidarity. And a sense that these identity categories might occupy different lanes and their embodied experience might be different but I do not, I should not need to have experienced gay life or female life in order for me to support queer communities and women.
0: And to value in, and those to lives. To value
1: those lives and to struggle alongside them in their fight against misogyny and homophobia. That that level of solidarity, it seems to me, can be achieved through almost a certain kind of sort of imagination, empathy that that I as someone who has experienced racism, but hasn't experienced homophobia or misogyny, the differences aren't insurmountable. The differences aren't so huge that I can't possibly imagine what it must be like and therefore march in solidarity.
0: It's interesting because I feel like the... Parts of the gay rights movement mm. historically have embraced this kind of idea. Mm. Um, specifically, I mean the, the term "ally," mm. right, is, mm. has mm. grown out of this idea mm. um, that LGBT individuals and communities mm. need and welcome mm. allies, um, and and. Women often you know say feminists often talk about the role that men have played in important kind of mm. achievements and, and groundbreaking moments for women's rights. Mm. So it's it's not that this isn't there mm. it's certainly there in practice mm. um, and it's certainly it's certainly there when we talk about the kind of day-to-day, activities of organization and um, and mobilization but I've, I've I mean I wonder was it was my one of my first kind of um, moments where I was really thinking critically mm-hmm. about this recently was reading a a blog post um, about... Women-only spaces, specifically queer women-only spaces, um, and it was in kind of in response to and, and tangentially related to some of the bathroom mm. laws that were coming up, and um, and it, the author was arguing that um, that queer women-only spaces have become in many cases just as much about body policing mm. as a bathroom law has. Mm. And um women who kind of you know, to use the more old school Judith Butler term, performativity, women who perform a particular gender identity that is mm. um masculine mm. or that makes them appear mm. to an outside observer as being a man, right? Mm. That they are often discriminated against in these mm. kinds of spaces mm. and mm. it denies them their right to a safe exactly. space. And yeah. then you take that to its logical end point and it's like, who, who are we to police who deserves access to our safe space? Mm. And we just end up policing our own gender identities and our own bodies, mm. Just in our own way. And um, it becomes this sort of cyclical problem, in a sense.
1: Yes, but I mean, certainly as a straight man, I cannot deny the importance. That many many women uh, um, feel that female only safe spaces have I think that's that's absolutely the case that in a patriarchal misogynist world spaces that men do not have access to have to exist now are those spaces going to always be free of internal power dynamic differentials no probably not but they still have to exist I don't need access to those spaces to be in solidarity with the movements that come out of them as a man I don't need access to those spaces to say you know if you have uh reclaiming the streets march I will go with you if you want me to because i guess the problem with solidarity is not is what happens when the various groups in solidarity are differentially placed in privileged terms so, and and benefit from those differences so i can i can declare as much as i want my support for feminist movements i am still benefiting from patriarchy as a man.
0: Yeah, in exactly you, the same way that I benefit from white privilege. Exactly.
1: Now, that doesn't stop you from being in solidarity with me in in anti-racist movements. It doesn't stop me from being in solidarity with you in anti-patriarchal movements. But it doesn't take away that privilege. And try, trying to find a way of being the kind of ally that is able to Exist in solidarity while acknowledging your privilege and perhaps even using your privilege in a way that benefits the movement. You know, privilege allows you things, allows you to do things, yeah, allows you to occupy spaces in different ways. And if you can use that privilege in support of the movement, then that's brilliant. But to do that without, you know. Using that privilege to silence the various movements you're supporting.
0: See, that's where I think I still have an issue because when it's when we start to talk about what counts hmm. as silencing and what counts as hmm. solidarity hmm. and being a good ally, that's where it breaks down hmm. because because people don't agree hmm. here. Yes, and there are certainly elements of yes. all movements that yes. sit at kind of the far end of this yes. which is which is the the kind of extreme of the stay in your lane yes politics um th- that and if if there isn't agreement yes. about how solidarity should work how it should happen yes. then in a sense it it becomes very difficult to do yes. and to practice yes. and to talk about. And, I mean, solidarity relies on interpersonal relationships. Mm. It relies on, on social relationships between two people or more. Mm. And in that way, it's a negotiation. Mm. And it's it gets quite you know, it gets quite complicated, and when it gets that complicated, like I said, you know, I do care, Mm. obviously, but, you know, to play devil's advocate here, why should Mm. I care? Mm. If there's a a contingent of activists, Mm. um, you know, say, a group of women of color, for example, Mm. Mm. of whom I share a a gender identity, Mm. perhaps, but not a race identity. In a sense, identity politics doesn't give me a reason to care. It doesn't. And solidarity even doesn't necessarily give me a reason to care Hmm. beyond the fact that I do care. But I know a lot of people who don't. Hmm. Right? A a lot of people have used this discourse Hmm. to say, that's why I don't need to care. Yeah. I I don't care i mean
1: at its at its logical extreme or you know take it to its furthest extreme identity politics allows the privileged to remain secure in their privilege yes because the responsibility to care and think and speak out is taken away from you you don't you don't have to worry because you can always say that's not my issue that's not my fight
0: yeah, and even the and even kind of the, I can share as many articles hmm. as I want on Facebook about, you know, Black Lives Matter or um, LGBT rights. I can share as many articles hmm. written by activists and intellectuals yeah. as I want. I still have my privilege, and I've given, hmm. I've given space to queer voices for example Mm. and it is you know if that's the end point then Mm. i've done my bit
1: yeah
0: you know i feel
1: happy and secure (laughs) that you're a good person and you've done done your bit
0: yeah and at least i'm not quite as racist as those other people some other racists you know and Mm. it and it just for me it's not enough Mm. but then at the same time even though it's not enough if a group of activists doesn't want me involved or, mm. you know, speaking, mm. Mm. at the same time, I feel obligated to not... Mm. to respect th- their definitions of mm. solidarity and mm. allyship. Mm. Is that the term? Allyship? I
1: couldn't wrong with that. Allyness.
0: <laughs> and it's... you know, mm. on a day-to-day basis, I benefit from my privilege. Mm. Men look at me weird when I use words with three syllables or more Mm. sometimes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it it is what it is, but I find the discourse, particularly online, the kind of pseudo mainstream discourse Mm. of identity Mm. politics Mm. limiting. Mm. Um, and I want to, I want to be able to do, to, to feel like more is happening that we are more radical and... I
1: mean, we need, to, we need to come up with a... with a somehow a more satisfactory way to explain, describe all the various forms of marginalization that we don't have a word to. You know, anybody who isn't straight white male has experienced... And cis, it, we
0: can throw cis in there too. And...
1: and you know, ruling class, because we haven't really mentioned class in any of this, Uh, but class privilege is just as real, if not more real, than everything else. Um, And for all the understandable reasons, in terms of fluidity of identity and changeability and the importance of embodied experience and all of that, there is no satisfactory overarching theory that gives us strategies for collective action
0: yes I agree I wonder if part of it I feel like there's this big um, I go on about this a lot to you when I when I rail against Foucault being categorized as purely a post- structuralist mm. which is which is really elitist but but basically what I mean is that the theory the, the, the kind of theory that we're talking about um, this sort of social and critical theory that's rooted in mostly 19th century structuralist philosophy sorry, ouch um, that it, it draws this we draw these distinctions Mm. between between scales. Mm. So we are unable to link up effectively Mm. the relationship between structure Mm. and the individual. Mm. And, you know, there's a causality question here, and more generally Mm. a sort of chicken and egg Mm. issue here. Um, a structure agency question that I think that you know the post-structuralists sort of dealt with mm. by saying structure doesn't exist mm. really once mm. we deconstruct it, mm. um, but that really it's a it is a question mm. of scale: mm. the individual in relation to something that is bigger than the individual, mm. whether that is social organization. Or cultural mm. organization and practice, or political or economic mm. Mm. structures, that there is not a way mm. theoretically to link up the individual with the many different ways mm. we could articulate structure. Mm. that the, we don't have a theoretical language mm. for this. Mm. Or maybe we do, and I just haven't read it, and I'm ignorant. No, I
1: don't think we do. I don't think we do. And um, that explains why this episode is not going to provide any solutions to anything.
0: Yeah. It was just us talking. We, we've we had this conversation so many times, too. Yes. yes. This is sort of an ongoing...
1: Yeah. If you have any solutions...
0: Or more to add. Yeah, let us know. Or if you've written... You've written this theory, this mm. philosophy, and we haven't read it yet. Then
1: send us the reference, and we'll read it. Um, thanks a lot for listening. I think I think we're done.
0: Yeah, for now. For
1: now, um, you know, tweet at us. Let us know your comments. Um, if you like us, if you've liked listening to our podcast, even if you haven't, then. Go away and listen to our friends, uh, Always Already and Stage blather. Both uh, these podcasts in their different ways use similar kinds of theories that we are using and have much to say. If you get your podcast on iTunes, then rate us, review us. It helps other people find our podcast as well. And we look forward to hearing from you and speaking to you next week.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode.
0: I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick.
1: And I have been Anindya Richardry.
0: You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz.
1: And me at Dr. Anindya R.
0: Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been State of the Theory.
1: Thank you.